Welcome to another episode of the Digital Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Clark Wilcox, founder of the Digital Recruiter and Digital Recruiter Talent Group. Uh, today, I'm joined by Joe Aberdeen, the Senior Manager Director, uh, Senior Director of Managed Services, excuse me, at Findem.ai. It's a talent acquisition and management solution for companies and recruiting agencies. Uh, I've known Joe all the way back since my first week at Aerotech. He's been there for a few years before me, really accomplished uh, recruiter and salesperson at Aerotech, understands consultative selling. He knows the grind of this industry, has had a ton of success. And now he works, he's been working on the software side the last two years. I'm really excited to have him on here. He's an awesome guy. He has a ton of knowledge. So Joe, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Clark. Awesome. Well, let's let's uh, let's start how we always start. I kind of have a little bit more of an idea this time than I usually do with my guests. But you know, you started you started a little few years before me, so I don't quite know the full story. How'd you get into recruiting? Yeah, man. Well, I uh, I'm a small town Pennsylvania guy, and I moved to LA on a whim back in 2002, and the economy was not a whole lot better than it is now. Um, couldn't yeah. find a job, and I ended up working as a bouncer and doing extra work for TV shows and movies, and just desperately needed something. And I actually got a call from Aerotech about a $12 an hour CNC machinist position. And uh, I said, I'll take it. I need to work multiple jobs to afford to live out here on these types of wages. And they said, well, this is a contract to hire position. If we uh, give you this job, are you going to quit it if you find an engineering job? And I said, absolutely. And uh, they said, well, <laughs> well, in that case, we, we'd rather not present you, but uh, appreciate your honesty. And they kind of taught me right there about kind of taking the job away from someone and the importance of doing that as a recruiter. So they said, well, what about uh, working as a recruiter? Would you consider that? And I said, man, I would take anything. So they... Uh, they got me set up with an interview for the aviation division in Culver City. I interviewed. Uh, I did not get that job, but they thought I might be a better fit for down in the uh, L.A. office where I met you. And uh, they they brought me in for an engineering recruiting role. And uh, 2003, I, I started in that position. Actually, almost exactly a year. Tomorrow will be uh, be uh, 20 years later uh, that I... Wow. To me, starting, uh, got to work in, in the recruiting capacity for seven, eight months. Then I moved into that account manager role for about six years. I got the chance to do a really cool role, which was the manager of divisional operations, where I was kind of a consultant to the directors and VPs, led the strategy and some education, things like that, around core initiatives on a, uh, on a national level for our engineering and manufacturing divisions. Then I went into business development again for our uh, engineering services division easy after that. So quite a uh, time in the, my 14 years there back at, uh, at Allegis. Yeah, it's, uh, I know it's crazy. It, it, for me, it was 10 years, like this year, like back in June. I'm like, man, that's crazy, right? So it's like 10 years. You're, you're, you're the grizzled vet when I, when I got there. So uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, yeah, although now somehow I've, I've surpassed you in the, in the silver and gray hair. So that's all right. Uh, <laughs> but again, a really cool background. Again, got promoted pretty quick. So it seems like you kind of just took to recruiting pretty quick, right? Like what was the first few months like, you know, kind of navigating, like what is recruiting, figuring it all that, figuring it all out. Like how was that adjustment? 
Yeah, you know, I'll say I was fortunate, and I think the the rejection of the aviation division was a little disheartening at first, but getting in the engineering division made a lot of sense. Both of my degrees were in engineering, and I picked it up pretty quickly. I think it was an advantage to have some knowledge of the types of skill sets, uh, probably deeper knowledge than most recruiters that get into the space end up with. Um, it was really interesting to me, too, because you also got to see how fast you learn. And I remember six months in, we used to keep paper sub logs of who we had submitted to our customers. And I went back and looked through and I said, man, like, I didn't know anything. These first six months worth of subs were terrible. And then <laughs> at the one year mark, I looked back and I was like, man, the last six months, these candidates were pretty terrible. And each step of the way, you just keep learning. Um, I was very fortunate. You know, I love the office culture at Aerotech where we had a lot of people around. There were a lot of senior people that I got to learn from, having them around all day. So I definitely see the value, especially early in your career, around uh, being in office and being surrounded by people. The virtual world these days can be tricky if you don't have the right fundamentals and, and the, the right relationships. It's so true. I mean, I, I was an absolute mess my first few months, probably years, honestly, at Aerotech. Uh, and it's... It's tough. I wouldn't be able to learn remote. I mean, I had kind of like a remote make your own hours telecom job before Aerotech and I was I was a mess. Like I had no discipline and like I just couldn't kind of navigate it. Aerotech does an amazing job of like just giving you those bumpers. Of like here's the numbers, stay in the lane. If you just do it, like you will figure it out. Like you will get there. Uh, and, and as you said, like, yeah, you just go back like, man, I thought that was a good submittal, a good candidate. Like, no wonder my manager was kind of frustrated with me or the client turned him away. Like you kind of just look back. You're just like, ah, like, but it's the lesson of like, it's so important to have that evolution and growth mindset in recruiting is you will get better, but it's, it's through reps. Like the only way is through like that. That's the thing. So you just got to have like a good attitude about it. Looking back, like, Oh yeah, maybe my manager was right. You know, and, and turning that away. Right. For me, it was Mo and she's just like, all right, like, come on, you can do a little bit better. As you said, take the job away, locking down candidates, all that good stuff. So um, no, that, that that's awesome. So you get into the sales role eight months in, how was the first year or two of sales? Like, how was that adjustment? Yeah. Well, it was uh, it was still a pretty tough economy at the time. And yeah. I'll say one thing it did teach me, too, was the importance of discipline to uh, documentation. So I inherited a territory from a, a, a previous salesperson who didn't really document a lot and ended up uh, getting a lot of kind of negative feedback on calls that I didn't know the history of with accounts and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, but I was able to be pretty successful uh, fairly quickly. So that the first, I got out of the gates pretty strong um, and ended up hitting the the affinity program uh, contest uh, my my first five years uh, with the company. So it, it took off well. Again, I think the advantage of recruiting in that market, getting to understand it um, was really helpful. And I did benefit from being able to open doors with the, the knowledge of uh, having the engineering degrees, I think that stood out a lot. So it made it easier than most people. The other thing that I'll say I, I really underestimated and I got to experience in jobs since then was the the power of the brand. And Aerotech was, I think, the top eight um, engineering staffing companies when we started, when I started in 2003. Very quickly, we became number one. And man, clients would answer the phone didn't hurt that I also was selling aerospace uh, customers with the brand Aerotech. Got passed through a lot of gatekeepers, probably quicker than uh, 
than I would have if I was selling into a call center with uh, Aerotech as the name or something like that. Shout out the uh, APS division. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, the brand piece is really, I mean, it's a lot different now than 2003, right? We can hop on LinkedIn, write some content, you know, shoot some content, post it. You can build a brand with just an agency of one and be pretty known. But it kind of goes back to, I think Aerotech did a really good job of like leaning into their strengths right away, right? They start with like one vertical and then they expand out as they have success and can reinvest in the company. I mean, that's been their motto for what, over 30 years now, right now. I know it's Legis Group, but in different names and, and all that, like that's, that's a lesson, whether it's a huge company or a smaller company, right? It's a lot of our, our listeners that you know, come from smaller agencies, like the building that brand, leveraging your strengths, like going in, even with a tough territory, if you inherit something where maybe the pre- previous person didn't make you guys look, look all that good, like it can help overcome a lot, right? With, with that and just kind of what you bring to the table, um, it, it's definitely pretty powerful. Yeah, I would say uh, the one thing too, uh, I, I think there's been a, a bigger shift more recently towards the value of more boutique and specialized agencies as well. You know, Aerotech had divisions and segments and things like that that we really targeted. But uh, I think as a, a smaller organization or an inv- individual, you're able to choose also, like we were constrained. I, I had a t- geographic territory and skill sets that I could work on. And yeah. I, I wasn't able to open it up and say, hey, I want to expand outside of this and stay really focused, really specialized. And I think once you start establishing, establishing yourself as an expert in a specific space, it's much easier to open the door when LinkedIn wasn't a really big thing when I started. I was uh, one of the early adopters of LinkedIn back in 2005. And uh, when when it started picking up steam, I think that you saw that if someone could take a look at your network and see that you're aligned with a lot of the people that are the right candidates, the right customers, they're in that space, they have that network and they see that overlap, they're much more likely to trust you than um, you know early days, it would have been tough for you to say, hey, I know this stuff and there's no way to validate that you're really a part of that community. Exactly. I mean, it was that's and that's where that like hustle, cold call, like that culture really comes from, like boots on the ground, because that was the only way to do it in the 80s, 90s. I mean, even most of the 2000s, that was really it. I mean, even when I started 2013, 2014 for skilled trades, I mean, no one's online really for that. That was still cold call, maybe email, but that was really walking in person, too. So it's really shifted the last few years. And it's what I always want to make people realize like how much of a like a gift it is now to have some of these these tools. And yeah, there's a lot of noise, but if you leverage how to stand out, right? If you, you know, if you know engineering, have that degree, you have some of those top candidates, right? Those pipeline candidates, as we used to call them, like that's sometimes that's all you need, right? To to turn the relationship around, right? So how did you turn some of those relationships around that maybe the previous manager might have rubbed people the wrong way? How were you able to come in and maybe turn some of those around? Probably not every single one, but like at least some of them. Yeah, well, I think some of it was a bit of changing the audience. And one of the things, you know, being at Aerotech for such a long period of time and in my territory, I, I say such a long period of time, six years, six years is even longer these days than it was back then. But I always said I outlasted most of the uh, the HR people that were there. You know, people change jobs, move around a lot and just staying disciplined to never giving up on follow up always seeing who the new person is. 
But then the other piece too was I was, you know, I, I think the path of least resistance in many cases for agency recruiters is to go to HR. And that is who sources out a lot of the roles. But where I, again, thought my credentials really re were valuable was directly with the hiring managers. And when we started trying to take more of an approach to avoid HR, often we would get redirected. We had to go there for contracts, things like that. But being able to go right to the end user who had the pain and say, hey, I understand it and I can get you the right people. And I know that you might have to go to bat for me with HR, but if I start at HR, they're just going to commoditize me. They're going to look at me as another vendor. I'll be squeezed on pricing. I'll have to go through more challenges. So we often led with quality candidates, like you're saying, like we would find someone who I knew with my understanding of market and of the types of customers there, say, this is someone that you would be interested in talking to and lead with that. I know it's a little bit uh, frowned upon in some, some uh, customers and things like that, depending on the size, they have policies, they don't want you approaching that way. But when you have what they need, uh, ordinarily, you will be able to get a conversation going and, and demonstrate that uh, you're a valued partner to them. Well, it, it's, it's, uh, I think it, the approach is what makes sense. Cause I've been saying like, at the end of the day, like a recruiting agency, we are kind of a MPC or most placeable candidate. Like our job is to find the most placeable candidate, most hireable candidate for that role. I think what happens is you see companies abuse that, right? They'll send 20 or 30 candidates. Oh, here are all our, our MPCs. It's like, ah, I don't know. You're just kind of sending over like resumes, like, Right, they kind of dilute the quality. So if you can kind of stay focused on like the one candidate for that one role, like what actually makes sense, that's where there's power, and it still it still works. Like I, I coached a client the other day on Tuesday night, you know, on cold call strategies and approaches, and kind of flipping it to don't pitch yourself, but lead with the problems that you solved in that territory. Hey, I saw this position was open for the thirty days. We've just placed a few people like this in your area. Should we talk more? And the CEO, and she talked to the CEO of a major health organization. He's like, I'm setting you up with HR right now. Like, I want a contract in the book, all that stuff. And like, that's how it works. HR can't turn her away because the CEO is telling them, like, hey, work with this recruiter. So it's such a powerful approach and it works, right? I think as long as you kind of like you're disciplined and you don't kind of bite off, try to bite off more than you can chew at, at the end, you kind of like use it as a teaser and then can kind of open up the door. And as you said, the path to least resistance. Yeah, and I'll say I've always been super passionate about sourcing, even as a salesperson, even as an MBO, like throughout my entire career, which is why I ended up uh, after Allegis, after Aerotech, I worked for a tech-enabled talent sourcing solutions provider. I worked for Flex RPO in between, and then now I'm again at a sourcing technology company and running the managed services division. But one of the things that I find that the agency world really struggles with is that balance between reactive and proactive. And I was really disciplined to always sourcing constantly on my side. I wanted to know my market extremely well. I wanted to talk to everyone. One of the things that, you know, you were kind of saying there, I've always found like when we would say, hey, you know, we, we find the best candidate for a customer. I, I always had to push back a little bit and say, we find the first good enough candidate for a customer when we're reactive. You, as soon as you find someone that you think could fill it, you send them over, you're like, this is great. Do we know what the market really has? Have we talked to enough people? So being able to constantly have these conversations, be have a better, I guess, finger on the pulse around, you know, what that market and what quality looks like there is, then you can say, you know, a lot of that will come down to timing with those really great candidates, but you have to build a lot of relationship and trust with them so that they know you're going to represent them well, you're going to bring them quality opportunities, you're not going to waste their time. 
And then those candidates are really the gold. You know, they're the people that aren't going to have their resumes out on job boards all the time that every agency's calling. And getting to those candidates through the right strategies and then being able to have that as a differentiator is really everything. It's, I mean, this is kind of a good set. I mean, we're kind of, I want to make sure we go, you know, back to some of the air tech days and, and talk about some of those years there. But yeah, let's dive deeper on that. Cause I think what you're doing now with, with Findem is exactly that. It kind of seemed like the evolution of the beginning of your recruiting days. And that was very similar to what I saw in my first few weeks. I was like, I, I need a bunch of, I need to add people into my network and my top skill sets and get ahead of the game. So then five, 10, 15 roles would come through or go to works, right? Where we could just put people to work. I could beat out everyone else. Like that was always the goal, right? Staying ahead. How were you, how are you guys kind of accomplishing that now with clients on, on the, the AI side? Yeah, well, what I'll say, it, it, a big part of what the technology does is it, it adds efficiency and it, there's just no way to duplicate the types of things that are getting done um, by a technology manually in that sort of time. So uh, a lot of these tasks, like what our platform will do from an outbound sourcing uh, kind of angle is they will go out and find little pieces of information from a variety of different sources and pull that together to an enriched profile. Now, what we do uniquely here at Findem is we kind of create what we call a 3D profile that has a lot of information around companies and their performance over time, that has the timeline and it has the candidate profile. So we're able to get a picture of, you know, what when was someone there when the company was performing or were they not? Were they there at this stage of the company, if you're talking about the startup world or something like that? Have they been a part of a Series B that then went to IPO or... Uh, something like that. And it's really hard to do that and requires a lot of manual effort. So when you can really understand the type of audience that you want to tap into and then be proactive with it, you get an instant list. I always say that it's, it's funny, back in the Aerotech days, um, our database was everything. You know, we worked so hard to get it. And now a good database that has a lot of candidates that aren't active job seekers based off of all that sweat equity that was put in is really valuable. But right now, you know, if you have nothing, you can go to a technology like like ours here at Findem and instantly have a massive talent pool to outreach to with contact information and rich profiles, things that you wouldn't have to, at your fingertips back in the day. And it would take so much work. Um, we have automation campaigns and CRM functionality where, again, if you take that nurturing approach to your, your market and say, let's just talk to as many people as possible, see who's going to be interested. You never know when someone's going to respond. Craft good messaging, make sure that you're consistently tapping into as many people and different people as you can to continue to grow that and get those kind of warmed up candidates or be able to, like you said, call on them when you have openings, call on them for go to works, get them ready much quicker. That's a big part of it. It's a heavy investment. So what we saw, um, you know, going even back to Vsource, what was really uh, eye opening, we had some big staffing and services companies that were doing this sort of thing all the time. You know, they were getting big projects, they were getting whatever, and they wanted help knowing exactly who was available and, and when. So we built some kind of triggers around things like when we should try to engage. Like we, and, and all of this is now managed within our platform, which is awesome. So we can build custom attributes that allow you to say, hey, we find that in this space, contracts tend to be one year. Well, let's start reaching out to these people at the nine-month mark. So we get a trigger that says this person has now been a contractor at this company for nine months. Or, you know, the, the, the customer themselves, like, let's watch stock price. And if it starts to tank, executives may want to go somewhere else. Or, hey, you know, this, this company's 
program in the government space is coming to an end. You know, they're going to have to start thinking about where they go. So it allows you to say, how do I get to these people when I need them? But along the way, have a strategy of building these talent communities and nurturing them to make sure that they always know who you are, but you don't have to hard sell them about opportunities, do things that add value, create good content for them. And our platform really allows a lot of those things to be kind of set up and automated so that you talk to the best people when they're ready. You're getting to those people that, you know, would have taken you a long time to build a community for. And my team uh, individually on the managed services side, we kind of operate the platform for you. So if you don't want to have your recruiters sourcing all the time, you'd rather they're closing, you'd rather they're engaging, you'd rather they're, they're moving people through processes or doing whatever else is part of their responsibility. Just have us feeding passive leads to them, things like that. I got to see some companies become extremely successful, crazy growth, just by being very disciplined to that and being set up in the right way. We help companies expand into new markets, whether that's just geographical or new technology. They have a customer that says, I know you've been great at engineering, but could you help out with our sales roles or whatever it is? And they didn't know how to do that effectively. We have intelligence built into the platform. So you could say, this is a smart move. We're being strategic about this. There's a ton of talent there. There's a ton of companies that would be desirable to us. So it's a really pretty powerful platform and companies that are not kind of adopting technology and looking for ways to be strategic are going to waste a lot of time or, you know, it's, it's so easy to get distracted or just, like I said, be reactive. So having this as something where you're not pulling your resources off of the reactive piece, that's important. And just having this set up for you and have a machine that does the proactive work for you is exceptional. Valuable. It's, it's huge. And I mean, I'm, you know, there's a lot in there to unpack, but the, even leveraging AI and some of the tech, it doesn't have to be across the board in your agency. But if you, even if you look at different spots where, hey, where am I going to get the most like ROI on, you know, maybe you know, for sure money and placements, but even on, on my time or my recruiter's time, right? Even looking at your team, right? Kind of look at it as like a sports team, right? What roles do we have filled and what role are my sourcers or screeners going to fill? What role is AI tech going to fill? Right? It's not, you can't be dependent on it for everything, but if it's feeding you lead, you know, if it's feeding leads and that's more time for my recruiters to just be on the phones and be screeners, you know, and that's effective. And it takes them from talking to three people a day to 10 people a day. Well, that's great. Right. And it's the right people. Like if it's the right plan, like that's amazing. Like we've added, you know, someone to our company that was just screening for the first four weeks and we were able to double our submittals because our sourcing team was amazing, right. Getting the right people. We just needed more out. We couldn't figure out more hours in the day. So like that's helped. And then now she's learning sourcing after screening and all that. And it's just like really, it's really powerful versus have feeling a recruiter or someone has to do everything all the time. Right. It's like being able to kind of like figure that out. What are you seeing as like the hardest, the, like the biggest challenges for recruiters and agencies to like adapt a proactive approach? Yeah. So there's a, a couple of things. Um, I mean, it always come down to where are you closest to the dollar, right? So these types of tasks are going to fall by the wayside because they want to fill this stuff. I think that the other thing is that that true discipline to what you want to be great at. And that was a big thing that in the MDO role we really focused on. We rolled out, hey, you, you should have five to 10 key skill sets that you know your market has, your talent pool has. Become a master of it. And 
it's really easy when you're talking to a customer and they say, hey, can you fill this role? And you're like, sure. It's a wreck. I just need business, especially in times like right now where wrecks are hard to come by and there aren't as many uh, people. And the work in terms of going through the candidate pool is a lot. There's If you put up a posting, you probably get a lot of applicants. If you do automate outreach, you're getting a lot. So making sure you're maximizing the value of your activities and being strategic is important. It is, I just, I found this everywhere. When I went market to market, when I'd look at the wrecks on the board, it was always like all over the place, despite the fact that we were driving, hey, what what do you really have a lot of? What do your recruiters know? What could you fill in two seconds if you got it? And how are you then turning that around? If you're talking to this talent pool all the time and you're doing a good job, like I think, again, Aerotech taught us how to find leads very well from the candidates. Like, where are you interviewing? And, you know, when you're talking to candidates, are they hiring, you know, in their in their group? You, when you play in that same space, you get to know everything and be able to say, I can take this candidate to this person. And and when you're just chasing whatever you can get your hands on, you never really get that sort of vision into what's going to be successful. The other thing that I always found, too, was that recruiters did not uh, fire bad customers fast enough. Um, we would be stuck working on bad business that wasn't going to close. The wreck wasn't a real wreck. Maybe it should have been three wrecks. Maybe the comp is just so badly misaligned. And I, I really, I, it was frustrating to me to see that we would keep all these, these wrecks on the board that would make people feel busy. You know, they were doing the work on it and they were spending the time, but end of the day, the ROI just was never going to be there with those customers, with those roles. And not being, uh, I guess, too too focused on getting a full rec board and smaller load of recs with the right business is is much more important for you. I mean, if you're preaching the, the, the choir, people listening probably can understand where like the digital recruiter like way came from. I mean, it is... I always say it is back to the aerotech days. I mean, like what you would come in and I remember you were talking about this stuff and it just all that stuff clicked right away when you come into the office and because that was your role at the time was really talking about this. I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I started doing that because I didn't know anything about skill trades or general labor. So it's just I learned everything I could. We had our top five skill sets and I'm like, that's all I was going to do. And that's when my spread actually started to rise after a year or two in sales was like getting on the same page myself with the recruiters. Like they would feed me the candidates on the top skill sets. That's where I would go out, right. Kind of walk into plants and stuff like that for us. It was mechanics and electricians. And it was way easier, right. I was able to go from like, I don't know, 4k to 16k in a few months. Right. And kind of hit that peak. And like, that was it. Right. And now with AirTech, it's a whole thing of temporary contracts, projects, and all that stuff, right. That grind never ended in that territory, right. You got to keep, you got to keep at it. But just even getting to that point, kind of that breakthrough is like the big aha moment of like, you just stay, like find your lane, stay in it, but also know everything about your lane, right? Just own it, that total ownership. That resonates with the clients and the hiring managers. They're like, oh, like this person, like they know the stuff, like they know the ins and outs, like they might not know how to do the job, but like they know the market, like they're in tune that's who someone's going to pick because we were always told every agency is going after the same companies. So like, how are you standing out? And it's kind of, it was just kind of nat- you know, it's a kind of a natural thing. And when you start to like have that and hold that line and know what you're willing to work on, know what you're not. I mean, it's just, 
you get a lot more respect from clients and hiring managers. I think that's like the biggest switch for salespeople in recruiting. I see that they have to make. I, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you saw the same thing. I mean, you you had to try to train us on all of it for, for a few <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah. yeah so, and, and I'll say like ahead. one of really quickly, but yeah, one of the uh, one of the biggest champions of my previous uh, tech enabled sourcing company that I work with work for. Um, like we had a guy that back in the day, and this will date it just based off the skill, but uh, he moved to Atlanta and said, I am going to know everyone who hires or who is a Java engineer in Atlanta. And he said, feed us the pipeline. And we gave him everyone. And even before he started selling, he was just talking to candidates in that space, nonstop, getting an understanding of where they interview, where they want to work, where they don't want to work, who pays well, who doesn't, what these problems are, what the hiring processes look like. And then he went to market and three years later, he sold his agency for $8 million. And I was just like, that's the sort of thing. Like if you don't chase everything, if you position yourself effectively, go through the right channels, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. You know, he, he then, like I said, has become like a consultant <laughs> and, and it was a great champion for us to say like, hey, when I talk to staffing companies, I'd say, can you talk to this guy? And he'll tell you how we can set you up to be successful as a guy that used us and was successful. So that That's what I love, like your, your approach, right? Right now, it's, it's where I tell recruiters all the time, especially if they're newer to agency recruiting, they want to sell. Like, I need clients, I need leads. I'm like, okay, go talk to candidates. And they'll get frustrated with me. They're like, why? They don't have business for me right now. Like, it's just like, okay, let's think through what agency recruiting is, right? We've covered, you know, we've been talking about it for 30 minutes now of just, it's your candidate, your time spent with candidates and the database you have that's relevant and current. That's what companies don't have access to. Like, that is what you need to build, right? So, and, and you can build that in two to three months. Like, if you have that, then you're just matchmaking, which is truly like, that's what the job really gets fun right is when you're doing that like that's what this is and as we have also talked about like candidates can give you tons of leads on who actually uses agencies who's struggling to hire what good whether the good companies what are the companies that you want to pull from or candidates are are looking to make an exodus from so like if you kind of approach it that way and you know have the right approach and dig and try to help and give support to these candidates and build that rapport that's the asset right there. And that's the value. And the sky's the limit. I mean, as, you know, you could sell your company for 8 million, right? In, in three years. I mean, that's that's what it is. Like, that's the value. It's not lead gen. I'm going to go get business and then go find candidates. It's like, they're going to kind of, you know, that's the MPC approach, right? When you make up a candidate or something like that, you try to weasel your way in. It's like, just get the work done. If you get the work done, you won't have to do that. Like it'll be obvious that like you have the candidates and the speed will come will come into factor too. So I, I, I love the approach. Yeah, it's funny, man. Sorry. One of my favorite memories, and I use this all the time whenever I work with a company, it, it it's probably less so now because of just the abundance and availability of information compared to what there was in 2003. But I saw this throughout my career whenever a rec would come in and recruiters would work on it for a day and a half or two days or whatever. And they say, I called everyone. <laughs> and I, like I did it. I, I, was like, I was like, I called everyone. And and Nick uh, was the guy that I was trying to submit to at the time. And he was like, you, you called everyone. 
I was like, called everyone. I went through the entire list in the ATS. There's nobody else, you know, and he, uh, he made a call to a contract. We were working on a, a hydraulics mechanical engineer role. And uh, he called a, a guy that we'd placed who was working at one of those companies and said, hey, man, could you, uh, could you send me your org chart real quick uh, or your phone list? And he sends it over. And I'd called two of the mechanical engineers with hydraulics experience at this company. And there were 50. And he's like, so you, you called all these people? And I was like, uh, I didn't. And he's like, right. Like, there's always more people out there. You just need to know how to find them. And like, it's, again, it's the relationship without having a relationship with that guy, I could continue to tell myself that I had everyone, but there are so many ways to get creative with recruiting that come from building good relationships with the talent pool, not necessarily with the customers themselves. I, I love that point. I, I just had the same conversation with my wife yesterday who she started to work, you know, she's starting to help out, right? We'd set our kid, she took the year off and is helping out on the recruiting agency side. She's just getting into sourcing and she's like, I, I went through the list and I go through the tool, you know, one of the two softwares that we have and I look and I'm like, talk to all these people. And there's like hundreds of people and just like one area. She's like, nah, I was like, all right, well, you know, now we know what you're doing tomorrow, right? Like kind of going <laughs> through, like now you have like your list to go through. It is the same thing. I did the same thing when I started. Oh, I've called everyone. I think most recruiters are lying if they said they haven't ever said that or done it. As you said, you just got to take a deep breath and like, all right, what haven't I, what angles haven't I thought about, right? What haven't I tried? And just like, that's where that evolution, that growth mindset comes from. And you just, you just do it, right? Or you ask for help and then you're like, oh, all right. Like I can always keep going. That's like the daunting, but also the pretty cool opportunity in recruiting, right? Like, it's just like, oh man, there's a lot that I could do. But there's also a lot out there, right? It kind of isn't isn't over. It's very rare that it's like that small of a Canada pool. And if it is, probably not a wreck to be working on, unless you're getting paid good money uh, to find it. And maybe that's like headhunting, which is a little bit different, right? So, uh, yeah, that's a great lesson for for the listeners. Um, I, I want to talk about what somebody said earlier. 2023 has been a tough year. To, to get racks, maybe to close racks, maybe companies are holding on to cash a little bit more, right? Especially in the tech environment, which is, I know that's what you guys are heavily focused on. You went through 2009, right? You were recruiting your sales, you were off and running, right? And contests, all that good stuff. 2009, eight, 2009 hits. What was that like there? Because sometimes it's just first people's first go around through something like this, right? But I know it's not yours. What was that like, right? Well, what was like, just like, Everything kind of just went away in terms of yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was it was it, it's funny you know when I think about like the biggest challenges that I've faced uh, with being in this space. I will say the the number one is the ups and downs. I, like it's a roller coaster. I came in in two thousand and three, and my boss at the time had been around for seven years, and he uh, he shortly after about three months in resigned and. He's a seven-year guy, which back then was like 25-year guy, <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in the agency world. And I, he'd been really successful. And I said to him, you know, why are you quitting? Like, should I quit? And he said, no, man, like, you're new, you're young. He said, but this roller coaster, I know, I know there are great days ahead. There are going to be some times where... It is raining money and you control all of the power. Like you're going to love it. 
He's like, but I'm not willing to grind it out through that. And end of the day, from when I started on until what you're talking about in 2008, 2009, it was upward trajectory almost steadily. You know, everything, we, we were in a, a, a great market uh, for what I thought was a long time. We've since seen even longer. And then when that happened, I literally lost 50% of my business in one week. Uh, every client, it felt like called. It was a, on Friday, one of my coworkers was like, just go home. Because I had fielded so many calls that morning of clients saying, we're laying off all your contractors. I had a decent mix of direct placement business, which I knew was going to come off and not be replaced. But at least it kept me going at that 50% mark for a little bit longer. And I thought back to what he told me then. And I said, you know what? I do have the ability to keep grinding. Right? I'm, I know this is going to be a tough time. And I don't know how long it'll be. But tough times never last. They'll eventually turn around. And I stuck it out. And it was really tough. It was not a lot of fun. And I just grinded. I, I felt like an outplacement agency. Every call I made would be a hiring manager saying, we're not hiring, but can you take a look at my resume? Or can you talk to these 10 engineers that we're letting go uh, in two weeks? Like, it was brutal, but it was a great time for relationship building. And, you know, if you can survive these times and do everything the right way through the tough times, you will be set up for incredible success coming out. And I think we saw a little bit of that even Again, not uh, we had a nice run once things had recovered. You know, by 2011, 2012, things were back to pretty decent again. Um, certain markets slower than others to recover, and then the pandemic was the first hiccup after that. And man, like that was again as brutal as I've ever experienced. I watched. I wasn't around for the 01 recession. I was still. I came in on the tail end when things were still bad. But man, the pandemic, and then it snapped right back so quickly. And then we fell back into where we are now. And so I just look at it and it's like, if you're going to be in the recruiting space for the long haul, be prepared for ups and downs where you're the most worthless, least valuable asset to a lot of people in their minds to the most critical right after that. Like we, we are on, we're on front street, man. Like we feel it right away. Staffing feels it first and uh, on both the bad and the good side. Yeah. It's just like learning to keep that even keel, right? Celebrate, you know, you got the micro, you know, we talked all about the group calls this week in our program, like the micro wins, right? You got to be able to celebrate some of those and, you know, in tough times, it could just be building that relationship and having that rapport and knowing they're going to pick up the phone when it comes back. And a lot of people now are, hoping that people pick up the phone again for them, but they haven't been through it. So what was it like 2010, 2011, people start picking the phone and that turned around, right? Cause I don't, I think 2011 was like your big bounce back year. What was that like, right? When they came back and, you know, cause some people haven't experienced that, that, that are listening to that. Like, I don't know if you want to kind of talk about that. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was a bit gradual, but the thing that I saw was there were a couple of things um, that I think were really important to make sure that it, it went the way that it did for me. And one was, you know, always keep in mind a partnership. Like I went into every relationship with a partnership mindset that was long-term. And I saw a lot of people come in and out where times are great. Guess what? Rate the price is way up, you know, now get as much money as you can. And 
I'm charging 30% for a DP or bill rates that are 100 plus percent markup on someone that just a couple of years ago, I was like, yeah, I'll take 40. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, it was, it's crazy. So keeping that in mind and, and saying, knowing it will turn, behave in a way that will put you in a good place so that they do think of you. They remember that you did help them out when it was just a backfill here or there and they needed you to, to make a concession or replace somebody that, you know, was outside of a guarantee period or whatever. And you just did the right thing. Then they came back around and it was, it was great, you know, and it was again in pockets, the first one that comes back, but I feel like there's a lot of almost group think among the employers in markets too. And when they see someone turn on and now they're hiring, they're like, well, if we're losing all of our good talent to this company that's now offering it, like we're going to have to get competitive and we're going to have to do these things to keep them. So then as I'm, you know, supporting one customer and seeing all that traction, the, those other calls that come in become that much easier to, uh, to support as well. So, I mean, it was good times. I did hit my, my all time high in a short period back in, in 2000, 2011, right before I moved into the, uh, the MDO role. Um, but it was, you know, 08 was tough. 09 was brutal. 2010, like first three quarters of it was tough. And then the second we got to Q4, it just felt different because we weren't slow during the holidays for the first time in a long time. And I, th I think you look at some of these and you, we, we were, you know, doing our best to celebrate every little thing along the way. But, you know, again, it all came down to getting ourselves in the right position for the return and and building those good relationships that knew they wanted to work with us when they would have plenty of options because when the market gets good again everyone becomes a recruiter again they see it's i wasn't a money grab in the moment i was a long-term relationship builder and i i still have some of my first clients from aerotech that reach out to me even though i'm in a different capacity whether it's for me to refer them to a recruiter that i trust or to provide an auxiliary service like i do that's, I mean, that's telling right, just right there. So um, that that's awesome and, and super helpful for people listening, going through this for the first time because it is hard, right? It's hard to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel if you've never really seen it before in you know in, in a certain industry. Uh, going on to that, a fun question I always like to ask: What's the craziest story you have from your recruiting days? <sighs> Yeah, uh, it's actually kind of uh, tied to one of the things that you brought up before. Uh, there was a huge aerospace and defense integrator in my backyard that I really wanted to get into. And I've worked on, on the end users. I worked on HR. I worked on everyone. They kept referring me back to HR. Finally, HR said, tell you what, come meet with me and I've got a role for you. And Aerotech always had this, like, I don't necessarily agree with it, but give me your toughest wreck and we'll fill it and, and earn your trust. And he was like, all right, we've got a chief avionics systems architect role. There are probably 10 people in the U.S. that can fill this role. If you can fill it for me, then, like, we'll sign a, a contract. The placement itself was going to be 50K. And it was a, a clear guy, <laughs> very specialized I found them and uh, got them in the mix, handed them over. So they were running with the process because it was a direct placement. And uh, the guy, HR calls me and says, like, hey, man, uh, been some hiccups. Uh, let me tell you the story. And I said, okay, what, what happened? 
And he said, so we were bringing him out for the final interview and I got an email that said, hey, I'm gonna decline. I, my wife doesn't wanna move out. She's got horses. She wants to stay in South Carolina. So I'm gonna have to pass on the final interview. So I called your candidate and the candidate said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't send an email. My wife, who I'm going through a divorce with, must have just emailed you to cancel my interview. And I was like, oh my God. So he's like, it's been a bit of a mess with this guy. Like there's definitely some personal stuff going on. So then he calls me back. He's like, talk to him. He's still in, he wants to move. There's a place where he can bring horses for his wife if he decides he wants. We set him up with a good place with like ranches for him to get a house. We're paying reload, helped him with all this. It's a go. I'm like, awesome. So then we're actually at a national sales meeting uh, the weekend before he's supposed to start on Monday. And uh, the, the HR manager calls me on the Sunday of the sales meeting and says, hey, your uh, cannon just backed out. He says he's trying to reconcile with his wife. He's out. And I was like, I had 50K commission like in my mind. Like I was there. I, made, I worked through it all. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to work on the wreck again. <laughs> like, yeah, by the, yeah. Oh, man. So, that is all time. Didn't, yeah. Didn't get in. I mean, it was months. I didn't get into the, customer, the company. I didn't get the placement. It was, a, it was a rough, rough weekend on the way home from that. I had to tell our national sales guy that I'd been trying to break in into this, in this location. Like, our candidate is a maniac. And <laughs> we're, uh, we're not going to move forward. You think the wife actually sent the email? I think she did. Uh, I, I mean, I talked to him a lot trying to sell him on this. And he had told me that he and his wife were going through some difficulties, but he was ready to move out for a change and separate. And for him to turn it around that quickly, like the, the HR manager was like, he was completely shocked when I told him that this email came through. So. That's, that's wild. I wonder if they're still together. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a good story. That's a good, good story. Wow, fifty <laughs> k in the palm of your hands, and at the net, at the sales meeting too. That's brutal because you know I know you're talking about it with yeah. people there. And you're like you did you this, you this. Like then the last day, you're like no way, no way. <laughs> but you know we all got the battle scars. I don't think I have anything. I don't have anything that good with that much money on the line for a placement just because. I was in skilled trades. I mean, it was like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, two, 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 three hundred spread a week or something like that. But yeah, not, not 50K placements. Uh, oh, that's a good one. So let's talk about, you know, been at this for a few years now. You know, what's kind of the biggest wins, right? Kind of like one of the prouder moments you've had, you know, working in this industry, whether it's on the recruiting and kind of the software side. Yeah, I'll say um, in terms of a win on a business component, um, I, I've had to jump through a lot of hoops. And when I was at a tech-enabled talent sourcing company, um, integrations were key. Everyone wanted to be able to integrate with their ATS. It was critical for the efficiency piece. And I worked on, uh, it was actually getting into Microsoft through GitHub. And I worked this deal for 18 months. Uh, we got a year into it and they said we had to restart the security review. Like this was a nightmare, but I had wanted to get in for so long and like knew this was going to be a, a great opportunity. Uh, it was a lot of work, built some great relationships. I ended up quitting the week before the, uh, the engagement kicked off. And 
the team over there like sent gifts to me, thanking me for helping get this set up. Meanwhile, I'm getting no commission on it and I won't be there to, to, to steer it afterwards, but they were, they were still thrilled. That was a big one, but uh, it may sound a little sappy or whatever, but the real wins to me, uh, I'll say some of the biggest ones were, I, I think we often lose track of why we are in recruiting and the ability to change people's lives and to impact companies' successes are a big part of it. And for me, uh, at Lucas James, a, uh, a Flex RPO that I work for, um, I when I came in, it was during the like recruiter famine. <laughs> there were no recruiters anywhere. And I couldn't go out and sell our services without having the resources. And I, I reached out to a lot of recruiters and ended up bringing in two phenomenal recruiters that are still there, um, but both had some personal situations that they, you know, would benefit incredibly from a remote job that also included a pay raise, flexibility, great culture, able to change all of those things. So uh, I think the, the two women that I helped get uh, the talent acquisition consultant jobs at, at uh, Lucas James were probably some of my favorite. I mean, the praise that I've gotten from them and the, the appreciation like that's what makes it worth it. And they're pretty recent. I, I, I think, you know, that's the fortunate thing over having a long career in recruiting. There are a lot of lives that you've been able to impact, but like the biggest wins are those. It's the human piece. When you can change someone's life for the positive, um, it reminds you why you do it. Because I mean, especially in, in a, a big competitive agency, I think it's it's very possible to dehumanize these people and look at them as the skill set, look at them as the the commission that you're making not think about the fact that this is a person that you're trying to find the right match so that they live a better life, not so that you can get paid. And those are the reminders that I really love. I love it. That's a great story. I couldn't be more spot on. It changed my life. I remember I was paying, get my gas to get to my air tech interviews in change because I had no, I barely had any money. Like it was like dimes and just to get to the interview with my ill-fitting suit. I think I was like wearing a different suit jacket and different pants and all that. And they, they you know, they, they still hired me for some reason. Right. And it invested me and kind of saw the potential when it was making more money in a better situation, right. People that actually invested in me and it completely changed my life. Right. Like 10, 10 plus years later, it sounds like the same for, you know, I know you've impacted a ton of people to just at Aerotech um, and also not like at, at Lucas James, like, that is like the fun part. And that's what I love about digital recruiter is like helping people like get more time back, right. To spend with their families or, you know, do more with, with what they currently have. And it, it is, it's, it's amazing the opportunities that this industry can open up. If you just like, kind of have people that invest in you and take the time and coach you up. And if you're willing to coach and just kind of give and, and just put the work in right first and foremost, and then kind of just figure it out from there it could open up so many doors. And as you said, with the clients and everything, just having a good attitude and appreciation and approach with the right approach and just doing the right thing, even when it's really hard. I mean, it can be incredibly fruitful down the road. So I, I love that story. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, of course. So what, what's one thing, you know, you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, I, I just, I, I think, Realistically, what it comes down to is um, be specialized in terms of what you go after and 
be honest and build relationships in that space. If you want to be anywhere for the long haul, like that's what it comes down to. I mean, the, the core values that we had uh, at Aerotech align very much with me and honesty, integrity, and trust are everything. Like if you want to, to make a career in recruiting, it's all about trust. I mean, even like I, I, I say, we talk right now about how hard it is to get meetings with these uh, TA leaders, HR leaders, people that you need to, to get the right engagements going. And um, the reason I've been able to have success over my career was that. And the reason that, that I can still get those meetings now is based off of building trust. It's a space where with no trust, like we're in the people game and they can smell bullshit a mile away and your mass emails and things like that. Like when you have the chance to engage with someone, you have to make a good impression and people talk. It's a tight knit community. So do things the right way and stay focused on what you see is the right path to success and, and you'll you'll be fine. That's uh, great. Great pieces of advice. Yeah. A lot of wisdom there. And it's, It'll seem simple on paper, but it is hard to execute, right? And you're going to have those, a lot of those kind of the tests of character are going to come up over time. So as you said, it's very revealing over time and they can smell the BS a mile away. So it's like, you know, do the right things when no one's watching and, and keep doing that. Good things will happen in, for you in this industry. So uh, again, Joe, with, with he's got, he's at Findem. If you're an agency that needs help with you know coming up with you know sourcing solutions, custom sourcing solutions that wants to be quicker, more efficient, understand the candidate pool, be become a proactive recruiting agency, which is going to help you increase your fees, the quality of the relationship with the clients, come through for them quicker, beat out their internal and other external agencies. Right, reach out to Joe. Right, I think we can find you at LinkedIn. Joe is probably the best place. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, two thousand five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> since 2005, that's that. Yeah, I'm I'm only since really since 2020. So it is amazing the power of LinkedIn. Uh, but find him on LinkedIn. We'll have the his uh, LinkedIn URL in the episode summary, the website, all that good stuff. Reach out to Joe. Uh, Joe, appreciate it, man. Thanks for being here. This is awesome. Yeah, have a great time. Thanks so much, Clark. Awesome. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, make sure to you know, like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. We appreciate you supporting the little podcast if you got some value out of it. So we appreciate you and we'll see you next time.